Welcome to the Personal Equity Podcast, where we discuss investing in yourself and building personal equity. We take a deep dive with our guests into their stories, careers, and lives from both a personal and financial perspective. I'm your host, Mike Troxel. Today, we'll be speaking with Jackie Bertaldo, who is a registered dietitian and the assistant director of nutrition at Stanford University. In our conversation, we covered nutrition, time management, and career mindset. The links and information in the episode can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. So I'd love to start uh, with the present. And if you can give listeners an idea of sort of where you are uh, today and and what you're up to. Sure. So uh, Jackie Bertoldo, and I am currently assistant director of nutrition for Stanford University. I work um, in a department called Residential Dining Enterprises that oversees all of the dining and living programs for Stanford students. Um, So I work in a lot of different capacities, um, trying to translate nutrition evidence and research um, into practice to help help people eat better. Um, I get to work with a lot of faculty and students on campus who are interested in food and nutrition, um, help them design research projects to test new theories, um, as well as designing new programs for, for our department to, to, again, kind of help elevate the, the food and nutrition programs on campus. And then kind of on the side, <laughs> I am uh, also currently pursuing my Doctor of Public Health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. I am a fellow with the Bloomberg American Health Initiative, um, which is an initiative that was uh, launched by Michael Bloomberg uh, about three years ago now, um, really focusing on um, what are the most pressing health issues facing the United States um, in our modern times. And so there's there's five elements, five arms, um, and one of them is is nutrition and food systems, which is where I, I specialize. Um, I'm also a mom. Uh, to a beautiful two-year-old baby boy. I've got another baby boy on the way in a few weeks. (laughs) Uh, And so also balance that job, which is probably the biggest and most important of all of them. That's a a great summary. And there's a a lot to dive into. I sort of have to to, uh, pick pick my path forward here. But, you know, something... uh, Obvious, but sort of cool. You know, your uh, your son Dean and your one you're expecting. You know, by the time this one this episode comes out, uh, they'll be able to listen to their mom on this uh, in a few years. So that that's uh, just a cool thought. But so I'd like love to start with Stanford. There's um there's obviously a lot on your plate and um a lot for me to sort of uh, digest from your description just now. So you're touching sort of all or the diet and nutrition of all students on campus. Is that right? And you're helping move the nutrition programs forward. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, that's correct. So our division oversees all of the food programs for students. And so that's kind of um, the first, you know, my first role is really ensuring that we're supporting the nutritional needs of students, whether that student is a, an athlete uh, or has a food allergy or another medical condition or just is looking to uh, eat better. We think uh, about, 
you know, the decisions that our students are going to make over the course of their lifetimes and how we can create experiences while they're at Stanford that help inspire them and guide them to make better choices throughout the course of their lives. And if you think about, you know, I mean, one being Stanford, that some of these students are going to go off to become, uh, you know, CEOs of companies or start their own companies, you know, some, a lot of them interested in like food and nutrition space or the medical space. Um, but also, you know, just becoming parents and, and kind of raising the next generation. We really think about how we can, you know, not just help them eat better while they're at Stanford, but instill values and uh, give them resources and information um, that will yeah, help them lead better lives and help, you know, maybe guide others to lead better lives as well. So I know I've leaned on you before for some nutrition advice. How often do you get, you know, friends or family reaching out to you sort of, uh, sending you links or asking you about uh, new crazy diets? You know, it's not as often as you would think. I think the the most common experience for me is, you know, you're at, well, it hasn't been any time recently since we're in the midst of a global pandemic. But previously, when, when I was more social and would go out to gatherings, I meet someone for the first time or, um, you know, start a conversation and talk about what I do. And, you know, immediately, usually the first reaction is like, please don't judge me for whatever it is I'm eating right now. <laughs> um, or it's it's like, oh, well, I have this, you know, very specific question that I, I want to get answered. What is it that, uh, you know, can you tell me, can you enlighten me as to this question that I have? Um, so I'd say it happens more often probably with people that I don't know as well, but um, definitely always open to, to help uh, others understand nutrition a little better. I know a lot of people feel it's a pretty confusing field. Um, so I'm always happy to provide some evidence-based recommendations. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think there's a lot of parallels with finance as well, where like finance can be so deep and confusing, but in reality, there's a couple broad pieces of advice that can help everybody, right? It's like save more, you know, spend less than you earn and save money and then invest and don't do anything silly, right? Yeah. As far as nutrition goes i mean do you have any like one or two sort of general blanket um ideas or thoughts that you've shared before whether it's you know three words eat real food or or, <laughs> or something more simpler or complex than that yeah well i i can't i can't uh steal from michael Pollan because i think those words are copyrighted but uh definitely you know the one question I do get asked is kind of if there's one thing, you know, if I could just do one thing with my diet to, to, to be better and in, in, in better health. Um, my one thing is always just eat more vegetables. And I think you could probably expand that to just say eat more plants in general. But I like to say vegetables because if you say plants, people are like, oh, I'll have more, you know, fruit or, uh, you know, grains or things like that. Um, and vegetables are just such a nutritional powerhouse. And it's something that of all the foods that we're supposed to eat, it's usually the thing we eat the least of. Uh, and there's a lot of benefits um, to just adding these nutrient-rich uh, foods into your diet. And I always like to start with adding something because I find that's a lot easier for people than talking about all the things you shouldn't have. I mean, we already get pummeled with that in the media, right? Of like all the things we're supposed to cut out of our diets and everything, all the fun, delicious, wonderful 
you know, things t- attached to all your memories growing up that you're just not supposed to eat anymore once you, you know, get older. Um, so I'd like to start with something that we can add into our diets that is going to bring a lot more nourishment. Um, you know, and, and even studies suggest, you know, eating more vegetables can help displace some of those other things in your diet um, more naturally because they fill you up. It's, there's lots of water and fiber in there. So that's usually my one thing. That that's great, and I think you have a unique perspective because you've sort of you're you've been in practice, but you 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 know with Stanford and also being at John Johns Hopkins, you have sort of an academic perspective as well. Where what's the like? How do you sift through the research landscape? Because it seems like for someone who's casually interested in this topic, you can find research that's you know says says this is good for you or this is bad for you and then there's other research that that says the the opposite i mean are you through your you know academic lens are you getting better at kind of sifting through this or are you can you always tear apart sort of any study and it's um like how do you look at that yeah i think i mean i think it's a great question i i do think you're so right that you can take multiple perspectives, you know, sometimes even the same data, people will write two different papers with completely different perspectives on how they've interpreted the data. So, and I do think, you know, the way nutrition research is kind of glorified in the media, looking for kind of flashy headlines that really uh, adds to the confusion that the public feels about what, you know, what is the the right things to eat. Um, and I like to say there, there actually is no right way to eat. Um, I like to focus on eating better. Um, kind of meeting people where they are instead of saying that there's this one ideal that we should all be following. Because quite honestly, if you look, you know, globally, there's a number of diets um, that can promote health and well-being that have been practiced for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. Um, and so, you know, there's there's some general principles that I would say there's very strong evidence to support. Um, like I said, eating more vegetables or eating, eating more plant foods in general, you know, eating, eating real food, that that's something there's a lot more evidence coming out about, you know, the role of processed foods. And I could go on and on about that. Um, there's the nutrition community, I think has been rightly faulted for focusing a lot on nutrients and not as much on foods. Um, so we say, you know, eat a low sodium diet, but we don't really talk about what foods make up a low sodium diet or even where sodium comes from in, in, you know, in our diets. And um, so I think definitely there's a lot of research and it can be interpreted in many different ways. And I am always buried being a doctoral student uh, in academic literature. And, and I do think one of the greatest skills that I've learned in my academic career is how to interpret and how to really critically assess a study uh, to know whether or not there's any like real value there. And a lot of times, even with students on campus, like they'll email me and they'll be like, why, you know, why is it, why are you serving us canola oil? You know, this is the study and, you know, five rats showed that it caused cancer when they, you know, ate it at like a thousand times the level that any human would ever eat it. Um, So it causes cancer. And I have to walk through the study with them and explain to them the difference, you know, between researching animals and humans or, you know, the dose uh, is, is really important. You know, if you're drowning the rats in, in canola oil, yeah, like that's going to that's going to be bad for them. So um, I think, you know, being able to critically review the research to know whether or not there's there's legitimate insights to be had there, but also looking at, you know, the bulk of research that's been done 
you know, on things like the Mediterranean diet that are just overwhelmingly positive in terms of the beneficial effects that that can have, um, you know, on people's diets. And I work a lot with, you know, nutrition researchers and, you know, some of the most prominent researchers in the country. Um, we've, we've got a couple of them at Stanford and, uh, we, we partner with other academic institutions all over the country. And, you know, what a lot of them will tell you is that there's more that we agree on in terms of what we can eat to benefit ourselves and also the environment, which is an important conversation. Probably won't get too deep into that, but, um, you know, there's a lot more that, that these nutrition researchers who have been doing this their whole careers, there's a lot more that they agree on than what they disagree on. And there's a lot of things, like you said, Mike, that are pretty simple <laughs> that we all could be doing, um, like eating more vegetables, eating more real food, less processed food, um, getting out and being more active. Um, I know it's kind of boring <laughs> and, and, and public's heard it a million times, um, but those things are actually where there is the most and the strongest evidence um, for their benefit. Yeah, I can. I that, that's a great example with the canola oil, right? Because I've I've heard the same thing, right? And you only have, you know, we only have the capacity for the headline, mm -hmm. where someone like you has the ability to read the entire research study, but the entire research study on some news website is not going to get read. So the headline, mm -hmm. "Canola Oil Causes Cancer." That's what's going to be published. That's what I'm going to see. Um, but you bring up a valid point. Uh, you know, if you've, uh, a rat can drown in water, I guess, right? And, yep. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, I'll, I'll continue avoiding it for now, but I'll, I'll <laughs> no. so there's, I, there's I really no reason to. If you eat it in moderation, it's perfectly fine. Just to be clear, that's what that yeah, We, uh, we, there's so many parallels between our, our industries where, you know, people will see interesting links or some crazy claims and I'll get people emailing me or reaching out. Hey, is this true? Um, it's like, well, not really. Um, but anyway, so I'd it's like to shift gears. Right? It's kind of like there's there's nuances that it's like, well, if you really want to have an hour long conversation about this, we can. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Pull that into kind of, yeah, something that easy to digest. So dietitian versus a nutritionist, what's the difference? Are they the same thing? That's a really great question. I appreciate you asking that because they are not the same thing. Uh, in fact, they're, they're very different. Um, a nutritionist is not what we call a credentialed term. So basically it doesn't mean anything. Anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. Um, and there's no level of, uh, of academic achievement that needs to be met. There's no continuing education that needs to be considered. Um, you know, anyone who wants to, who, you know, read self magazine could call themselves a nutritionist. Um, a dietitian, on the other hand, is a, is a credential, um, which means that in order to become a dietitian, you have to have a bachelor's degree in nutrition. Um, so you have to have gone to school for at least four years. They're actually considering making that a master's degree in the next couple of years, um, where you actually would have to have a master's in nutrition, um, to even be eligible to enter the next phase of credentialing, which is what they call a dietetic internship. And the internship is really misleading because it's more of a residency, um, similar to, you know, what a physician, um, or a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner might need to complete, um, where you do rotations in different aspects of your field. And, you have to um, do 
get experience in, say, clinical nutrition, working in the hospital. You have to do food service. You have to do a lot of times community nutrition. Um, sometimes there's a, a business element to it as well. Um, but you have to complete uh, you know, thousands of hours of practice um, in real world settings. And it usually takes about a year. Um, there's some programs that are a little shorter, about 10 months, but 10 months to a year. Um, and only after you've gotten your degree, you've done this practical experience, are you now eligible to take a credentialing exam? <laughs> so then you have to go sit in a classroom for three hours uh, and be tested on everything you've learned uh, in every aspect of nutrition, um, everything from you know, the, uh, the physiology of digestion, <laughs> um, to, uh, dosing, um, uh, parenteral nutrition, which is, you know, tube feedings and, uh, IV feedings, um, to, you know, just generally promoting healthy eating, uh, and dietary guidelines and things like that. Um, and so then only after you have passed that exam, um, can you be called a dietitian. And then every five years, you have to re-up your certification. Um, you have you don't have to take another exam, but you have to complete what they call continuing education. Um, so you have to have about seventy hours um, of additional learning that you've committed to that you've completed. Um, you know, in specific areas, usually they'll let you be kind of more specific to the field that you're in, um, but just to ensure that you're continuing to stay up to date on the latest research and information that comes out. So. Um, becoming a dietitian is a lot more effort, um, but you can rest assured when someone is a dietitian that, um, you know, hopefully they, they have a, a, a good, strong base of, of knowledge, um, not just in nutrition, but in kind of the foundations that underlie it in terms of, you know, biology and chemistry and physiology and things like that. Um, so yeah, so that's the difference and it's a big difference. That's a, that's a great explanation. And just so I have it right is... Is the exact term, is it an RD or registered dietitian? Yes. So registered dietitian is one way to say it. Interestingly enough, our credentialing body added an optional nutritionist to the end of that uh, several years ago. So technically, I go by registered dietitian nutritionist. And it was interesting because I think what really prompted them to do that is the public's confusion <laughs> over what a registered dietitian was. Um, I think the public is actually more comfortable and more familiar with the term nutritionist. Um, and so they wanted to make sure that it was evident that we did work in nutrition, <laughs> um, but also that we were, you know, at a, at a, at a level of credentialing that was superior to someone who was just calling themselves a nutritionist. So just taking a snapshot of your career now, I mean, somewhat from the outside, it looks somewhat glamorous, right? Registered dietitian, master's degree, Stanford, all sounds good. But I know, obviously, it's not that easy to get where you are. Would you mind shining a little light on, I guess, the two-part question, A, what sort of led you down this path, but B, what your path was like to sort of get here today? Yeah, Um so I was a college athlete, um, an undergrad. I'm from Michigan. I went to a school called Lake Superior State, played basketball there. And I was always just interested in, you know, elevating my performance. Um, and I think that's kind of when I first tapped into, you know, how what I ate uh, influenced how I felt and how I performed. Um, 
I graduated with a bachelor's degree in exercise science um, because we actually didn't have a nutrition program. I kind of uh, was, I was definitely one of those students that switched majors a few times and, and uh, uh, graduated college, not exactly knowing what it was I wanted to do. But I was fortunate um, in my senior year to attend a lecture um, where someone had come in and they had a master's in public health and they focused on nutrition. And I thought, oh man, I've got all these nutrition books in my bookcase. I read the research for fun. Um, what if I pursued that as a career? And as I mentioned, uh, you know, there's in order to become a dietitian or in order to, you know, really work legitimately in nutrition, um, you know, at a hospital or a university, um, you have to meet certain academic criteria. And so I decided to go get a master's uh, in public health, uh, focusing on nutrition. So I did a dual program looking at public health nutrition, which um, to summarize that really uh, quickly is is basically you know, the idea of public health is that you're looking at things not just on an individual basis, individual perspective, which I would say normally in dietetics and nutrition, you're, you are actually being really, uh, you're really focused on individuals and assessing individual needs and dietary needs um, and being able to make very personalized recommendations, whereas public health is looking at it through a much broader lens in terms of how do you get entire populations of people, millions of people uh, to, to eat better um, or to, you know, to live healthier lives, to reduce the burden of chronic diseases and other things like that. So it was a really interesting experience because I was getting these kind of two perspectives, um, getting both public health perspective, but also, you know, learning about nutrition and dietetics. Um, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, I was like, I can't believe that, like, these are classes that I'm getting credit for because this is just so much fun. And I think that that's always a really good sign um, for anything anyone wants to do with their lives, you know, if it's something that you're having fun doing and it doesn't feel like it could be work or, you know, you don't mind, you know, taking a test on it or, uh, you know, learning more and you're, you're really hungry to learn more. I think that's always a good sign that you're kind of on the right path, um, for what you want to you know, do for your career. So, um, so yeah, so went through, you know, jumped through all the hoops I talked about to become a registered dietitian. Um, and then, you know, took probably the first like big leap of my life, which was moving to, uh, to California. And actually it wasn't even California at that time. It was, I moved to Oregon because my family has ties to Oregon. Um, and I just started looking for a job <laughs> and I was really kind of open to taking pretty much any job that I could get at that point. Cause you know, you're, you're just out of school and you're, you're ready to start making a difference and start building some experience and. I was just super fortunate to fall into a job at UC Berkeley that brought me into the Bay Area, uh, working for the university, working on nutrition for the campus, um, you know, kind of in some ways a similar capacity of, of, of what I do now, um, and was able to, to gain a lot of really great experience. And I think, you know, even more than experience, confidence. Um, but again, still just thinking like, God, I can't believe I get paid to do this. Like, this is just so much fun. Um, just love, you know, love nutrition and, um, love helping other people. And, 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 uh, you know, I think more and more even thinking not just about helping people, but helping the environment, helping our food systems, um, which is another passion of mine. 
um, you know, just thinking about how we can produce food in a better way. I think the more I learned in public health, the more I realized that, you know, people's food choices are determined by a lot more than just, you know, their personal preferences and, and the things that they, uh, you know, value and that there's this whole system that is uh, influencing what foods we eat um, or what foods are available to people um, that can also be, uh, you know, adapted and, and improved. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I made a little uh, lap around the Bay Area. I worked at UCSF Medical Center, um, got a little taste of the medical side, but still really working um, from the perspective of, you know, helping people eat better, um, not so much in a clinical setting, but looking at kind of the food we were buying and uh, the food we were producing and what we were serving our patients um, and how that aligned or conflicted with the types of dietary recommendations we were giving them. Um, did did some consulting, which was really an awesome experience. I've worked with tech startups. I've helped uh, develop a baby food <laughs> uh, that, that's more nutritious. Um, I've done some really fun things, you know, working with uh, you know, wellness programs in the Bay Area. And then uh, finally landed at Stanford, um, you know, in, in a little bit of a different role than I'm, I'm in right now, kind of just was hired as kind of the the dining dietitian uh, to, to kind of work on with the food programs and um, maybe, you know, we can get into it if you want, Mike, but um, just have been at Stanford now for almost five years and my role just continues to evolve and change. And as I mentioned, now I'm, I'm an assistant director within our division and um, you have a lot more oversight and have people reporting to me and get to do a lot of really fun, cool things. Um, so yeah, I think I just, to summarize it all, I just kind of followed my passion. I just let that take me <laughs> across the country and into a few different, uh, a few different employers and different roles. And I've had so much fun along the way. And I, and I think I just, my hope is that I can continue to kind of evolve and adapt and grow. Um, you know, whether it's in my role at Stanford or, you know, who knows what the future holds, but, um, the bottom line is, is it doesn't, doesn't often feel like work. It, it, it feels like something I enjoy doing and a passion of mine. And I think that's really important um, in terms of what, what led me down this path. Yeah. But I think um, you can totally hear it in your voice, your interest and passion for it. And, and so, you know, I, I feel the same way often where, you know, you and I are probably not very fun at parties where maybe you can find, you can find me in the corner talking to somebody about like their 401k and, and you're in the other, <laughs> other corner talking to someone about canola oil studies. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's nice that we've, uh, that, you know, it's nice that you found yourself in, um, uh, in a role that you enjoy. And, and again, knowing you personally, I know, I, I, I know you're not just saying that. So during that, journey um were there any low points you know i mean i'm sure i'm sure there were i think the the beauty of hindsight is that you can kind of be selective in in what you you know choose to remember or what you choose to focus on um you know i'd say instead of maybe low points i mean certainly there were many moments where i wasn't certain it wasn't i don't want to give the impression that it was like i just felt like you know every choice I was making was the right choice. Um, but I think that the more I stretched myself, the more I tried new things and, uh, you know, took risks, um, you know, things like doing the consulting, um, the more I learned that I had the capacity to, to do more, um, and to, 
to be successful and that I had value to bring to the table and, you know, learning how I set myself apart from other people, um, you know, to really show why I'm valuable and, and sell myself. Um, and so I think, you know, all of, all of the times I was probably uncertain or, uh, you know, scared or not sure I made the right decision. Um, I tried to just reframe it as an opportunity, um, an opportunity to adapt and, and to, to learn something. Um, so yeah, I, I don't feel like I ever had, you know, real low points cause I think it's just part of my personal philosophy. Um, you know, it's all about kind of how you, how you reframe things. Um, there's a great researcher at Stanford that I is a good friend of mine and who I love working with. She's in the department of psychology and, um, her name is Dr. Leah Crum. Um, she studies mindsets, um, which is kind of the lens through which we view the world and how, what an impact that has, you know, not just on the choices we make in our lives, but also like our physiology and our health. Um, and so I think working with her really was transformative for me and kind of thinking about, yeah, like, like those things in my life that maybe aren't going great. You know, if you can reframe those as opportunities to learn something new or, uh, you know, to set yourself on a new path, then, you know, you don't really feel like you ever made mistakes or ever really had you know, low points. And so that's kind of my the way I, lo- I like to look at it. Yeah. And that's a good segue into, into my, into my next question was about sort of, you know, any people that played a key role for you on, on your path, such as mentors. So it sounds like maybe, um, Dr. Leah Crum was, would, uh, would fit that bill. Definitely. I mean, her research is fascinating. I won't go into it too much, but it's definitely worth exploring. I mean, she's done my favorite study of all time. It's called mind over milkshake. And I, again, I won't get into it. I'm so tempted, but it's, it's, an amazing study. Uh, and, and you should look it up, but it's basically, you know, again, thinking about like how, how we frame things, how we think about things. And, you know, that influenced me tremendously personally, but also professionally, um, just looking at how subjective our experiences are on a daily basis in terms of, you know, what, what we think is healthy, for instance. Um, there's a lot of evidence to show that the healthier you think something is, the less filling you think it is, the less tasty you think it is, the less fun you have eating it. Um, and so here, you know, me being a dietitian and my whole world is talking to people about how, you know, why they should eat this food because it's so healthy for you. Um, and, and what Dr. Crumb's research really helped me understand is that that can actually backfire. That actually may be why we're not really seeing much progress um, in terms of obesity prevention and, and helping people eat better in this country because, you know, the idea of eating something healthy conflicts with a lot of really positive things that people want in, the, in a food, <laughs> in their food experience. And so, yeah, so I would say definitely her work has, has influenced me both personally and professionally. Um, you know, I've had, I've had a number of, of mentors of, um, you know, people who have guided me along the way who've, you know, provided feedback, I'd say, I mean, even, even Mike, you know, we've had tons of conversations just about career and, um, you know, I think, I'm inspired by you and, and, and by, you know, others I've met who have, who are passionate about what they do, um, who have followed that passion and, 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 and found success. And I think those are such great stories to share. Um, you know, I also, uh, had, uh, a mentor just in even the last three or four years who really helped me in my role at Stanford and, and kind of thinking about, you know, one, uh, one of the greatest lessons I think I've learned, um, just professionally is about, you know, 
growing and evolving I, in my mind, I think as a, you know, early in my career, which I think I'm still probably early in my career, it's probably good to remember that at times. But, um, you know, I thought that that meant, well, you got to get a new job. Like if you want to grow and evolve, you, you've got to get a new job. And, um, the, this mentor, she's a, she's a VP at a very large company and she's just, she's got kids and she's ridden the cor- corporate ladder and she's just been hugely successful. And I just think it's important, especially as a woman, you know, to find people like that, that can help, uh, help you understand what it takes and how to do it, uh, while still, you know, prioritizing family and, um, you know, how to overcome some of the barriers, the very real barriers that particularly women face, um, in the corporate world. Um, but she really taught me that, you know, growing and evolving doesn't necessarily mean you have to get a new job. Like there are ways that you can do that within a role that you have, or, you know, that you can advocate for yourself to grow an existing role. And I think that that's been really key to my time at Stanford and, you know, having been there five years and hopefully a lot longer, um, you know, being able to continuously, uh, find new ways to, to kind of reinvent yourself or to bring new value to the table and to keep things interesting. Um, I'm not one of those people that can just go in and punch the clock and come home at the end of the day. Um, and so, yeah, so I've had, I've had a number of people and, um, I do think it's important to find, um, mentors or, you know, just examples, um, of people who have, who have been successful, you know, both in your field, but also in other fields, um, who can, provide, you know, insights and guidance and just people to bounce ideas off of um, is, is so important. Yeah, well, I think that's really valuable advice. And, and it's hard advice to take as far as trying to reinvent a role within your existing company, because it, it means you have to have some difficult conversations yeah. where it's a lot easier to look for another job. And, and I, I know myself and maybe you and, and a lot of others have at points been guilty of that sort of looking for that next job when it's, um, you know, I, I guess listening to you describe it, it, you know, could almost seem like just, just avoiding a, a difficult conversation, which, mm-hmm. um, so kudos to you. And I, I know you've had a few different, um, roles and you've been crushing it at Stanford. So it's, it's, um, that, that's great to hear. So switching gears a little bit, um, sometimes hearing what's on your plate, Jackie, just makes me physically tired. Um, between a marriage and a kid, almost two, um, a job, your personal and physical health, plus a PhD or, or your doctorate. Um, what does your day look like? How do you do it? <laughs> uh, time management is incredibly important as I'm sure you can understand. Um, I mean, days lately have been a lot different. I mean, again, we're just in these completely unprecedented times and in conditions I've been working from home, um, you know, before going on maternity leave, which was, has been actually a great experience. Um, found a lot of, uh, of work-life balance and found ways to be very productive working remotely, but that's kind of, you know, that's another conversation, but, you know, I definitely think, uh, time management and prioritization are kind of the two key things. Um, and definitely, you know, having a family that, cha- that changed everything for me. Um, when we had our son Dean a couple years ago, um, it just forces you to reprioritize. And, uh, I, I like to say that, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about how they don't have time to do X, Y, or Z. And, you know, I personally just feel that that's a, 
a really poor excuse because I think like we have nothing but time. <laughs> That's kind of all we have. <laughs> and uh, it's really, it's really about how you prioritize your time. Um, and so for me, you know, first priority is always family. Um, so trying to make sure that we fit in, you know, those moments uh, as a family to, you know, for us, a lot of times it's eating a meal together. Um, you know, sometimes breakfast, but certainly dinner, um, always making dinner time a family affair. That's just a way that I've, you know, that's kind of a hard and fast rule that, um, you know, has really helped us, you know, always have that family time. And then, you know, in terms of balancing, the work, um, and the, and the school and all the other things, you know, some days it's not pretty. <laughs> it's, and I'm not going to lie. It's challenging. It really is. And, you know, there, there's times where I'm really tired. Um, you know, and I have to make those sacrifices of, of really understanding, do I prioritize getting this paper done or do I prioritize getting some sleep tonight? You know, and, and, and some days it's sleep and some days it's the paper and you just have to, you know, constantly be, thinking about what's most important um, to you. And I think as I've gotten older and as I've added more things to my plate, the ability to be flexible and adaptable um, has been critical. Um, you know, to I talk about having kind of the hard and fast rule of eating dinner together, but you know, I used to have a lot of really hard and fast rules before I had kids. <laughs> and I think that, I don't know, Mike, if this has been your experience, but... Uh, you know, once you have kids, I think you, you've got to open your mind a little bit to add a little bit more flexibility into your life where you're, you're willing to forgive yourself, you know, if you if you didn't uh, meet every expectation of that day, um, you know, and kind of reframe, uh, you know, how you how you how you prioritize and, and, and what is most important. And so it's a constant game of just checking in and trying to understand, like, what do I need to do now to, to, prioritize, you know, whatever is most important in that moment, um, you know, and balancing that with kind of the long-term priorities as well. So it's tough. Yeah. I'm not going to, not going to sugarcoat it. It's tough. I work very hard. I've got a very understanding husband, uh, who is just so supportive. That's critical as well. Um, but you know, I, I love my family. I love my job. I love, the school work that I get to do, you know, for my doctorate is just so enlightening, especially in these times, you know, studying public health amidst a global pandemic and, you know, in the, in the, you know, the types of things that are coming up culturally in our country, it's just fascinating. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of my entertainment as well, I guess, <laughs> is fitting that in. That's great. And, and it, listening to you, it sort of reminds me of an unpolished thought I've had, and it sort of reminds me of what you said about general diet advice, right? You didn't say subtract, you said add. Mm -hmm. And the, my, the thought I've had about sort of time management is sometimes instead of thinking sort of how can I save 10 minutes here or there, maybe the answer is, and it sounds like maybe this is what you've done, sort of add in so much good that you figure out a way. Meaning, you know, I might not have today time today for anything. But if all of a sudden my best friend was in town, I would figure out a way to make time, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you've meant, you said the word, you know, maybe 10 different times and that great explanation was priorities, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe it's not, you know, deleting Instagram. Maybe it's packing your day full of so much good that you forget you even have an Instagram account. Um, nothing wrong with Instagram, but that was just. 
Totally. Well, I, I love that. I love that concept. And I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, it, it is when you do an inventory of your time, you know, just, just as like, I would imagine, you know, people kind of evaluate their budget or, uh, you know, evaluate their, you know, the, the, the things they eat throughout a day. And it's not something you want to have to do every day, <laughs> but it's a good exercise once in a while, right. To just see, um, check in and kind of see how you're doing. And, and I think, you know, the same is true with your time. Like, you know, are, are you spending hours on Instagram and social media? Like, is that, you know, and maybe it's, it's so, um, subconscious, those types of things can be, um, that we don't even necessarily realize we're doing them. Um, but, but they do, you know, they either take time away from our days or they distract us from things. You know, I think quality of time is also really important, right? I mean, there's a difference between just going to work for eight, nine, 10 hours a day and actually like being productive, you know, or having really quality family time or just like, you know, sitting and watching TV and you're just in the same room. Um, so, you know, I think that's, and I think that aligns with kind of what you were saying, Mike, of just like, you know, you, you pack in not just the important things, but you also make those, that time that you are spending as value, you know, as, as optimized, as valuable as possible, um, you know, be as present as possible. Um, and, you know, in terms of work, you know, trying to be as productive as possible and you can get more out of that time um, is another way, you know, to try to fit more in. Yeah. There's always room, right? It's almost like you have a second stomach for dessert. You know, there's always room. And so um, if there's something you want to fit into your day, there's always room. Um, so I think we've dove into your career quite a bit and I, and I really enjoy your story. So uh, on that same vein, is there any ways that you've sort of invested in yourself personally to sort of manage that, right? Because on the surface, there's a lot of workload, but you've mentioned, obviously, your great relationship with your son and your family and your husband. Um, as far as like relationships go or even mental, physical health or any ways that you sort of allocate time, money, energy in those areas? Yeah. I mean, and I think in a similar vein to our, what we were just talking about, I think, if, in my opinion, the most valuable thing that you can invest in yourself is time. Um, you know, whether that's giving time to get get more sleep one night or, you know, to, to go for a walk or a hike um, or to, you know, to, to prioritize that time with your family. Um, and, you know, in my opinion, I think people think of like investing and they think of money and that it has to be, oh, I have to put all, you know, put this money into, into doing something for myself. And, and I, I believe really, you know, we can invest in ourselves by just spending time on the things that are most important to us. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that I invest in myself. I mean, obviously in my career, uh, I've, I've invested heavily in, in learning new things. Um, you know, I've, I've, I think that that has been something that set me apart. Um, and allowed me to really grow and be successful in my career is that um, I am always learning. I'm always um, gaining new knowledge, but also, I think, new perspectives. Um, you know, I'm, I, I am really fascinated how two people can read the same study and come to two different conclusions. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I think there's a lot of, um, of things, you know, even especially in these times, um, you know, I love questioning the things I think I know, uh, you know, the truths that I hold. 
Um, and I mentioned, you know, the, the work that Dr. Leah Crum has done and, and kind of mindsets and, and how subjective our experiences are. Um, and, and I find that really, really fascinating. So um, I think I've definitely invested in knowledge, but also in gaining new perspectives and thinking about things in different ways and trying to, you know, learn from people that do come at, you know, similar topics from a different perspective than I do. Um, and I think that's given me like a lot, a lot more holistic approach to, to what I do. Um, you know, I definitely, obviously being in being someone who really values nutrition and food, I, you know, that's something I, I really invest in. I invest in, uh, you know, I have the, I have the luxury to be able to invest in really high quality food for my family. We cook a lot of food at home. Um, you know, my, my son loves to, we, Mike, you and I were talking about how, you know, how kids kind of like to mimic their parents. And, you know, I think my son has seen me and my husband cooking, um, in, in the kitchen and, and he wants to help. And so, so we've been doing a lot of cooking as a family and, you know, that's just something I just really believe, um, is, has tremendous benefits for our health and well-being, but also just, you know, kind of bridging that with, with family time. Um, so I, I invest very heavily, you know, in health and well-being, um, you know, trying to, to get movement and exercise in and, you know, that continues to evolve, you know, being like nine months pregnant now, <laughs> that looks very different. Uh, but we're fortunate to live in an area where there's lots of, of hiking and, and beautiful scenery and things that we can go do outside. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think how I spend my time is how I, how I invest in myself. And, um, it's something I think about a lot, um, you know, from many different angles, um, and something that I believe is, is really important. I think there's kind of a stereotype with women, especially, um, of, you know, you become a mom and you start putting everyone else before yourself. Um, you know, and certainly like my mom was one of those moms and she's an amazing person and she, um, has always been so, so supportive. And, but, you know, I see, I see her, uh, you know, making sacrifices. Um, and sometimes that has come at the cost of, of her own well-being. Um, and I've seen her as she's gotten older, um, kind of coming to terms with that and, and really reinvesting in herself and what, what she wants. And, and I think that's been an incredibly empowering experience for her. And, you know, it's something that I, I think about, like I said, I think about it a lot. Um, you know, it's not that you don't prioritize your family and you don't want to, you know, make sure that, that others are taken care of. Um, but you always have to be thinking about how you, how you fill your, fill your own bucket, you know, put your own mask on before helping others. <laughs> um, you know, making sure that, that you're doing the things to feel fulfilled because I do think, you know, again, just, you know, especially as a woman, like I feel if, if I'm, uh, excited and, and happy in my work and in the things that I'm doing and I feel, um, that I'm being fulfilled, um, the, that makes me a better mother. It makes me a better wife. It makes me a better person to be around, a better friend. Um, it makes me better at my job. <laughs> it's just better all around. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important. Absolutely. I, ha I had a similar conversation yesterday and someone mentioned you don't get a badge of honor for doing everything yourself. Um, sort of as it relates to, you know, being a mother and sort of taking on too much of the load. Um, and I don't know if you've read this book. Um, this woman also referenced a book, I think on that topic called fair play. So that's mm -hmm. something, mm -hmm. um, I'm planning to check out. I don't know if you've 
seen it. Yeah, I think I, I have heard of it. I haven't read it, but um, but it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's true. And that's where it's like I think you have to go back to like what fulfills you because yeah, there isn't there isn't a gold medal. There's no like award that someone's going to give you. And I think sometimes that creates a lot of frustration for people, right? Like I think all of us just want to feel like we are making a difference that we're valued, you know, that people care about what we're doing and where we're putting our energy, that that's not just like, you know, being spent, you know, with, with no benefit to anybody. Um, and so I think, but that can come from inside that can come from within, you know, like, like what brings you happiness, what brings you joy instead of looking for it externally, like that someone's going to give you a gold star. Um, you know, how do you cultivate that? within yourself. And I think that's what it means really to invest in yourself. Yep, absolutely. And go, jumping back a little bit, I'm really glad you mentioned your your son in the kitchen because the kitchen has been one of the most fascinating parts of the house for me watching the kids and how much they learn and how much they uh, can pick up and, and learn when they're having fun. It's, um, you know, when you think of like learning and education or even homeschooling, I don't know, a kitchen wasn't the first thing that sort of jumped to my mind, but watching my own kids participate in the kitchen, um, uh, I'm blown away by um, how much they're picking up. So it, it's really fun to see. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you uh, and I'm not surprised you have that in your house as well. So I know I know we need to wind down here so we can kind of jump into these uh, last few questions. So outside of research and all of the things we sort of listed that, that occupy your time are you consuming any interesting content these days any sort of favorite writers or books or shows does not have to be work related yeah um i'm trying to think i mean i really have been so into academic literature it's a, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd my husband likes to make fun of me um because i do i I do read a lot of it. Um, so when you find me on the couch in the evenings, like that's usually what I'm reading. But, um, you know, I, I read, uh, Michelle Obama's book becoming a while back. And I, I did feel like that, that impacted me. Um, you know, really, I think more from the perspective of, you know, just being a powerful woman who has been very successful, but also balancing family and just kind of the struggles she went through and the things and to be like, I can relate to that. Um, you know, and this was like the former first lady <laughs> kind of made me feel, uh, you know, empowered, but also like I wasn't alone. And she's, she's got some good insights in there in terms of marriage and having kids and, you know, just things I found really, uh, that resonated with me and I found valuable. Um, you know, I, I used to, before the pandemic began and I had a, you know, about two hours of a commute every day, I listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, you know, I love uh, how I built this, uh, which you know talks about uh, successful entrepreneurs and how they've built their companies. And I, I love listening to those stories and just learning from you know what are what are the things that you know the commonalities between these stories in terms of like what makes people successful or what makes ideas successful. Um, you know, Mike, I know you and I have gone back and forth, and it's a fun game that my husband and I like to play too. Um, just think of new ideas, new, new businesses, new products, new things that the world needs. Um, you know, and so I just, I always, you know, dream maybe, maybe someday I'll, I'll have one of those ideas that just kind of transforms the way people do things or thinks about things. Haven't had that, haven't had it yet, but 
maybe someday. So I, I really think how I, I enjoy how I built this. Um, you know, I listen to Ted Radio Hour again, just to kind of fill my brain with knowledge about different things. Um, I like uh, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. She does a lot of interviewing. I think she's a great uh, storyteller. Um, and so I, I like listening to, to that as well. Um, I'm in terms of, you know, content that is interesting to me right now, I think with the, um, you know, the environment that we're in, in terms of, uh, the conversations that are happening around racial justice in this country, I've been trying to, um, again, as I said before, like look at things from a different lens, a different perspective. So I'm reading a couple books right now. Uh, one is called Farming While Black, um, which is about uh, agriculture and, and the role that, uh, you know, that black people in this country have played in agriculture from the very beginning and just how it's, um, you know, it, it's story about kind of all of the, the oppression that's occurred and just really terrible things um, that have happened, but also kind of an empowering book to look at how we could change these systems, how we could change the way we do things um, to make it better. Um, I'm reading a book called Franchise, which is about McDonald's in Black America <laughs> um, and how it's been both like a blessing and a curse in different ways, um, you know, how it's influenced the health of, uh, you know, especially like urban, low-income people, um, but how it's also been really instrumental in uh, raising Black communities up in terms of uh, you know, financially, like being owners of, of McDonald's and franchises and just the role it's played in civil rights and all of these things. So just, you know, really fascinating given a lot of the conversations that are happening uh, nationally and, and trying to think about it as it applies to kind of my little area of focus. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm reading right now. That's a, <clears throat> Quite a quite a list, but but not not surprised as far as you know. You've always been one, and again, it, it's come out several times during this conversation where you are so good at just I don't know educating yourself and challenging your own you know beliefs and truths. And so the conversation's going around right now, and I'm not surprised that you're kind of diving in and trying to understand more and learn more. So that's um that's great. So I think this is a, I love this next question, uh, especially for you, since you're a, a mother of almost two. If you had the chance to design a course, and I guess you might have this chance if you're, if the world is ho homeschooling, um, to design a course for any age, sort of any curriculum, what course would it be and why? I love this question. And you know, it's so funny because I, yeah, you framed it in kind of my, for my kids, but I think about it just interacting with today's like college students <laughs> on a regular basis and, and just, uh, seeing how this generation, the areas that they struggle. I mean, I, I work at an institution where the smartest kids in the world come to study. Um, and yet I see a lot of struggles that these individuals have with what I think you and I would maybe consider to be just very like basic, uh, uh, concepts of, of, of living, of just, of, of thriving. Um, and I just see the pressure that, you know, all of these kids are under 
and I am talking about Stanford kids, but also I think, you know, our, our kids, um, just in terms of the expectations around, uh, you know, technology and, um, there's just, there's so much more pressure on kids, I think, than when I was a kid, which I sound so old saying that, but, um, you know, I just, I just think the world has changed so much and I think about it a lot. And I, I really, if I could design a course, I think I would call it adaptability and resilience. And it wouldn't be about any particular topic area. It would be about how to stay open-minded, how to pivot, how to be adaptable, how to, uh, you know, reframe experiences in your life, um, to gain, you know, something positive from them. Um, you know, how to really invest in yourself. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think these concepts are things that a lot of us that have are conscious of them. We've cultivated that on our own. I don't think these are things that are really ever intentionally taught to kids, you know, or to, you know, young adults. Um, and I think in today's world, it's, it's essential that, that people have these skills or, you know, have stories or, or insights from other people that they can learn from. Um, because I just see, you know, again, like I see these, these incredibly intelligent kids that have checked every box, you know, and, and they get there and, it, you know, it's, it's something happens and they just can't handle it. They can't manage it because they're just, they've been on this like very rigid track their whole lives. And so anyways, I, I, I think, uh, you know, even for, for my kids, like that's something I, I think a lot about a lot is like, how do you, how do you teach your kid resilience? Like, how do you teach your, teach your kid to adapt? Like I was a perfectionist growing up and I don't necessarily, you know, I think that's served me in a lot of really positive ways, but I also think it can be really damaging, um, you know, to, to have to, to be perfect or to have very rigid expectations where if it doesn't go your way, you know, you fall apart. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's what I would teach if, if I could. And I, I think it's appropriate for young kids. I think it'd be appropriate for high school students, college students. I think a lot of adults would benefit from that class. So that's what I would teach. That's a, that sounds like a great course. And I think I, I would love to take, take that course. Um, and funny enough, you mentioned how I built this earlier. So yesterday I was listening to a conversation, um, with the host of that guy, Raz, right? Um, he was on Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast and there was a portion of their conversation where they were talking about this exact topic. So given you like, um, I'm assuming you like the host of how I build this. So I can send you a link to that if you were um, interested in listening to that sort of 10 minute portion. So you are in the car for the next hour, um, but you are forced to listen to me have a conversation with somebody. Any, um, any guest recommendations? Oh gosh, that is such a good question. I would just, I'd love to see you just like go head to head with, with some of the, you know, the really like prominent people out there that are giving nutrition advice, like a, like a Susie Orman. I just think for our own entertainment, I, I think it would be so, because I think you, you totally could hang, like could carry weight into those conversations. And I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that speak very loudly <laughs> about concepts um, that, you know, are really relevant to our lives. And I think finance, like you said, is like nutrition is like, you know, these are just things that literally we touch on a multiple times daily. It's just like something that's so relevant. Um, 
you know, and I just, I think that you have a really fresh perspective on things. And, uh, you know, I think it's great that you're, you're interviewing other people, but I also think I would like to hear, you know, like Mike Trox's opinion about, <laughs> about some of these things and kind of have it go head to head with some, some of these other heavyweights that are, are dishing advice to people. Well, uh, I appreciate that. And I'm interested in your thoughts on that because maybe you're, you're the same. I don't want to, I don't want to bucket group you into this, but for me and a lot of people, I'm not naturally promotional promote, you know, I'm not a promoter of, of myself, but like you said, the people that are sort of getting these headlines, it's not because they're the best or the smartest, right? They're maybe the loudest. And I, I, I'm, I don't know this, but I could imagine it being the same for a lot of industries and nutrition as well, right? Where you might, you know, know more about the research, but you're not the one with a microphone in front of your face on, you know, ABC, you know, news channel. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Do you struggle at all with sort of promote, promoting yourself or sort of... Um, uh, I don't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I do. I do, and I think you know. I almost think it's a, it's a good sign when someone isn't about promoting themselves. They just want to promote an idea, or they, you know, they want to promote the truth, or they want to promote, you know. But it's not so much about them. Um, but I, I, I agree with you, and I, I think I don't really watch a lot of morning television anymore. But you know, in the past, I've watched you know like Good Morning America, and it's like you know, this nutrition expert that has no qualifications, you know, talking about how this smoothie cleanse is going to help you drop 30 pounds in 10 days. And it's just like, you know, I roll my eyes a bit. And I think what I'm kind of coming to terms with, though, is that, you know, the people that have the fresh ideas that have the fresh perspectives that can give the valuable information. I mean, I I think you have to learn to sell yourself. Like I do, I actually think this is like, this is probably my next area of growth of like trying to figure out, you know, and I I can definitely, I can sell myself in, you know, in terms of my experience and my, uh, you know, my resume and, um, but like, you know, how do, how do I take these ideas to the forefront and get people to listen to them? Um, and I think just one of the things that comes along with that is there has to be a little bit of, of self-promotion in there and it can be uncomfortable. I haven't figured it out, but I, I do think that's, I think that's where we need to go. I think the people that have, you know, the, 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 the most important things to say and that, that care, you know, they're not just saying them to get attention. They care because they really want to help people. Um, somehow we've got to elevate those voices. Um, yeah. And, and whether that's yours or mine talks, I think we've got to figure it out because I think it's important if we're going to make, you know, society better. Yeah. Well, maybe offline we could chat more about this and we could be uh, accountability uh, buddies yeah, to uh, yeah. push ourselves. So um, I guess for you, right, if you had your own one hour of time and you could interview or have a conversation with anybody past or present, who would it be? Oh, that's such a good question. You're putting me on the spot, Mike. I'm not exactly I'm trying to think of who who I have a talk with. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I am so lucky that I get to like have conversations with like the people that, you know, this is just, I think one of the, the crazy benefits of working at Stanford is like the people I respect professionally, like I can have those conversations and I get to talk to them. Um, and, you know, and, and hear their perspectives on things. 
Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Michelle Obama fan. I don't know if you could tell when I was talking about her book. Like I just, I find her, I know, I know people have a lot of different opinions about her, but I think just as, again, as a mom and as a woman and just what she's accomplished. And I, I think what she's learned throughout her career has, again, it's just resonated with me and it's something um, I value. And obviously she, she puts a lot of value on health. Uh, that was like her big initiative um, was, you know, working, partnering across the aisle with people to help kids eat better. And unfortunately, a lot of those things have been rolled back. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess if you're forcing me to pick, I would probably pick Michelle Obama, but I probably need more time to think about it because I, I, I'm sure I could come up with a, a better answer. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, you, you, uh, you're a fan and, and you loved her book. So I think, I think that's a, that's a great answer. Um, and, like, and like you said, I mean, there's a lot you can relate to her, right? Um, just as simple as being a, you know, a you know a, a woman and a, and a mother, but obviously you know professionally and whatnot. Um, so I think that's a great answer. So as far as anybody listening to this, if they're interested and they want to learn more or be in touch with you, is there any is there any we're out there that they can get in touch with you as far as social media goes, or is email the best, LinkedIn, Instagram? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is the best. Um, easy to just search Jackie Bertoldo. You can find me on, on LinkedIn if it's if it's kind of in a professional capacity. I'm I'm working on something right now that I'm I'm not really can't really talk too much about. Um, but uh, I am kind of developing this this idea and it's gonna be an Instagram, it's gonna be a website. Um, it's called Eat Better by Design. Um, if you go there right now, there won't be anything because it's something I'm still working on. But uh, there is an Instagram account with one photo on it. Um, but I'm really hoping um, that that can kind of become a platform for some of these things we were talking about, Mike, of just like these ideas and these conversations and, and a way to kind of share that perspective um, in terms of food and nutrition and, and food systems and kind of an outlet, uh, for, for all of my thoughts. Um, so that's, you're getting the inside scoop. You're the first I've told about this, but, um, but yeah, eat better by design. That's, that's what I'm working on. Well, I love the name of it and no pressure, but say this is released in the next month or two. So, um, we get to kind of live in different times, right? We're talking today in September, but maybe someone will hear this in November. So maybe it will be fully launched by then. No, no pressure though. I know you have a Something else launching in a in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes with the with the second baby on the way. Yep. Well, good stuff. I've I've really enjoyed our conversation, Jackie. Um, I know we, we've had many, but it's uh, we haven't had any where I've uh, had you on the hot seat the entire time. So I don't know if you have any sort of parting thoughts for our listeners. No, I just I just want to say thank you, and uh, yeah, I just I love that you're you're. I love this concept, Mike, of, of investing in yourself. And I think there's, there's so many ways that people can do that. And um, I just appreciate the opportunity to, to have this conversation with you. Well, sounds good, Jackie. You have a uh, great rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Thanks again for listening to today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. All of the show notes and links can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to share it with a friend or leave a review. Reviews help the show get noticed. 
the best places to leave a rating or a review are iTunes or Spotify. Mike Troxell owns Modern Financial Planning. All opinions expressed by Mike or guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Modern Financial Planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.